0: This podcast is brought to you by Stonely, an interactive guidance platform for self-serve support. Deflect tickets, decrease costs, and delight customers with beautiful step-by-step guides that can be embedded anywhere. Hey everyone, welcome back to Beyond the Queue by Stonely, a podcast that looks at the human side of customer support leadership. I'm your host, Meredith Metzger, and this week I'm excited to welcome Joelle Waxman, At the time of this interview, Joelle was the Director of Customer Support at Stella Connect. She has since started a new role as the Head of Customer Experience at Biteable. In this episode, I talk with Joelle about how she fosters a fun work environment, motivates her team with a little healthy competition, and creates clear career pathways for her agents. Hey, everyone. Today, I am super excited to welcome Joelle Waxman. She's the Director of Customer Support at Stella Connect and a former support and CX leader at Callenly. Joelle, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. You know, I know you've managed a bunch of different support teams at different companies, you know, small teams, larger teams. I know you hired like pretty much the entire support team at Calendly. Can you kind of walk me through uh, your career progression and and how you worked your way up to being a director of customer support? Yeah, Um, so my first real career in the tech space was on a training team
1: at Yext in New York City. And this was essentially um, almost like it was for our SMB clients. And we just all day were on the phone creating these training experiences for our SMB clients that taught them the tool and taught them how to use it. So we walked them through a pretty standard um, just experience of you know what they needed to know about the tool, each page of the tool with goals that helped us align our day-to-day experience, making sure we were doing our job, but also help the customers you know, sort of see the value of the tool right away. And that really, it wasn't an inbound support role, actually. It wasn't a reactive support role. It was a sort of proactive training onboarding type of, thing that I, I really think opened the doors for, you know, some, what's important to me within the support realm, which is going beyond just giving the answer, right? It's also providing the why behind and the value of the, of the product. So that I think really gave me like a, a unique perspective when I did eventually get into support. So I was on the training team at Yext, moved into a um, enterprise support role, which was just like a dedicated support team for a particular very large customer there. And then I moved to Atlanta. Um, When I started working at Cal and Lee, I started as the first support manager. We were a team of four, I believe, Um, two of which on my team started on on the same day as me. So, (laughs) actually, a team of five. Yeah. So it was very small. We were all like, all right, let's just jump in together (laughs) and figure this out. Um, My job at that time was to just monitor their day to day, you know, be there as an advocate to help them through whatever support or personal or career hurdles they crossed um and then the team continued to grow as cal Lee kept growing and becoming more successful our volume went up so we needed more more hands on deck um, the director at the time eventually left and so i stepped into her role and um took over the customer success side of things too which at the time was just one really awesome superstar who kind of did it all and it actually stayed that way for a while because she was so good at what she was doing it was hard for us to realize that she needed help (laughs) um but but we it eventually expanded where support continued to grow customer success grew and our focus wasn't just throwing more heads at the problem we were um very focused on how do we be very efficient here right you know what tools can we put in play what resources can we provide and i think we're very lucky because Calendly really is such a simple tool once you understand the fundamentals, and it really sells itself. And so from a support perspective, we gave them all the resources they needed, them being clients, customers, and customers really ran with it. I mean, obviously we had tons of support tickets all the time, but they were either very nuanced, you know, specific use case issues that us as experts or Calendly experts were able to help with, or it was like a general, you know, here's a Help Center article, we're gonna explain why this is the case, but next time use this resource, and they always did. So that really took off, grew a lot there, learned a lot there, um, and then moved into just more support leadership as I moved on in my career.
0: Nice. Sounds like it's been really gratifying for you so far and lots of opportunities for growth.
1: Yeah, so far it's been, A very rewarding journey and learned a lot in every single instance. So I'm very grateful for that.
0: Yeah. So as I was mentioning earlier, some of my colleagues here at Stonely who worked with you (laughs) at Calendly, they have just, they sing your praises about how great of a people manager you are. So I am curious, can you kind of just walk me through your style as a manager of support teams? Yes, I certainly can try. <laughs> I think a lot of it is, um,
1: uh, it's hard to talk about this because it, I think a lot of it really is like my personality and how I choose to share that personality with my teammates. I love working with people. Um, the remote life has been very hard um, because you know, I'm, I'm an extrovert, obviously we can go through all of that and I get my energy from other people, but. I really like to take care of people and I like to see people succeed. And so every day as a, as a leader, I really was driven to just do that, to just show up to work and do whatever I needed to do to help my team be successful. Whether it was the small problems they came across every day or bigger career goals or even sometimes, you know, not work related things. Um, so, I think my style is, you know, I'm, I'm always very transparent, very honest, very much myself. Um, I, I remain professional, but there's definitely, you know, I just open up as much as I feel like I can, which is typically all, all the way. <laughs> um, I've always discussed sort of balancing being a friend and being a leader in a role like this. I think, you know, a support team in general, you're, if you're doing it right, you're filling it with people that are empathetic. They love to help other people. They're just fun, enthusiastic, sort of, you know, very, um, objectively like warm, friendly people because they're driven by wanting to help others. That's kind of what they want to sign up for to do full time. So they have a certain type of personality that they want to get to know people. They want to help other people. So I've always tried to just create an environment where people felt like family and they felt close and they loved coming to work and it was fun, but it wasn't just, I think what made it fun, you know, it wasn't gimmicky. We didn't, sure. We did silly things. We celebrated, you know, graduating, uh, like a new hire sort of onboarding experience. And we had fun social events, but I think what really created that environment was, hiring people and sort of instilling this work ethic that you really love this product and you really feel passionate about what it is that we're doing and what, who it is that we're supporting and what message we're getting across. And I think, I think Cal Only did that really well. Um, the product made it really easy to be a believer. So, but I have found in other roles, if you're not a hundred percent, you know, the biggest fan of what you work for and passionate about the actual product and the experience it provides, it's hard to emit that, and I think giving that passion and providing it in every day you know again internally as a as an employee and also externally as a support person makes your job a lot more fun and a lot more rewarding because typically the people around you can feel that and they you know grow off of it so I think again, balancing being a friend and being a manager um, being a leader, you know, I, I was very open, very available as much as possible, sort of like physically and emotionally put myself amongst the team, you know, never really separated myself. I did the work too. I think that's a huge part of it as a leader is um, leading by example. And even sometimes, like we would get tasks that had to, I I can't remember exactly, but there was like this really tedious project that needed to be done. Like we needed to add a tag to like every organization in Zendesk or something that was going to take forever. And I took that on because I didn't want to burden my team. Although they would, I'm sure would have been happy to take time out of the inbox to do something sort of mindless. I was like, this is like a tedious kind of obnoxious thing, but it needs to get done. So let me make time to do it and let them continue to do the things that fulfill them. So, I mean, that wasn't with everything. I certainly delegated, but it's a level of, you know, servant leadership, I think is a huge part of, of my style. And then one other thing that I feel very strongly about from an actual people management perspective is becoming the manager that that particular individual needs. It's not the individual's job to adapt to your style of management. If you're a good manager, you're like a chameleon and you can understand what they need from a leader and become that now granted I didn't just like totally transform there were things I I stood by in terms of the way I communicated or how I gave feedback or what was important, but for someone who needs a lot of positive reinforcement, you know, before they hear the constructive feedback versus someone who like can't stand that and just wants to get it done and need the direct, you know, you have to know that about each of your individuals and remember it. And when the time comes that you're sitting in that room, having a one-on-one, you gotta adjust. You know, I would do one-on-ones back to back. Like I would take an entire day and just sit on the couch and people would shuffle in to talk to me. And I was able to remember what each of these people needed to be successful and to have this
0: conversation be fruitful
1: and turn into that type of manager for them. And I think that's a huge part of it.
0: Wow. I love that. I love your your <laughs> note about being like being a chameleon, but you know, still still holding to your like what you need to do as a manager. I love right. that. Um, yeah, I and mean I... there are
1: certain fundamentals to Being able to move, push someone forward and, you know, continue to motivate them, but you have to, you can't push like a very direct, strong-willed type of feedback on someone who just literally can't handle that, you know, and that's okay.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So on that note, um, you, you know, as far as becoming the manager that your team needs or that each person needs, how do you identify what they need? And then how do you remember that when the time comes? yeah um
1: so what i like to do with any new hire or or even if we're starting just sort of like a new one-on-one process is um really just sit down and and let them tell me what they need when i first started at calendly there were three people who um, were working there before and there was this you know it was a startup and and it was small and growing and there was totally understandably, this little bit of like, who are you? And why do you get to be our manager, right? Like, why not anybody else? Or why not any of us? For the record, these people are my very, very good friends now. And that they were within a week. But but I did, I was like, okay, I understand that I'm coming in brand new to a company in a leadership role. And that needs to be addressed. So, and I did this at, when I worked at Samsara too, when I was just meeting the new team, you know, I think a big part of it sat down with everyone individually. And I said, just let what's going on you know how are things functioning now what do you like what do you not like what's your ideal management style what do you prefer in a manager you know what's going really well with your current you know with your previous manager before me and what was really horrible and it was a very private open you know i said I need this information so I can be the best manager for you. So just let it all out. And then my favorite question is, you know, if I could wave a magic wand, what would be one thing that I could do for you? Whether it's for the team or for you individually, a lot of times I'm like, get me more money. And I'm like, okay, we will, we will work towards that. Or a lot of times it was, you know, more hands on, you know, don't, don't reschedule our one-on-ones like stay, you know, stay on schedule there. And I'm like, okay, that's easy enough. And in those conversations is when you know and it's not just ask a question receive the answer move on to the next question you sort of build conversation off of some of the things that they say some people are not going to be like oh i've been waiting to just let go of all of these you know issues i have there you have to sometimes pull it out of them And, and that's where trust is initially built but it doesn't happen in that first conversation you have to let them be heard and then show them that you you know you mean business so if they ask something of you that's doable, do it. Or if you can tell that they maybe felt neglected from their past uh, managers or like want more um, constructive feedback on on a more regular basis, like give them that right away. And I think then they're like, okay, she means business. Like she says, she does what she says and let's see what else we can talk about. And then it opens up a little bit more. In terms of remembering it, I don't really know that I have tricks. I think I've gotten lucky where I really, you know, part of it is really caring about your team. You know, everyone for me that I've ever, that has ever been a direct report, I cared very deeply about and wanted them to be successful. And um, so I was just able to stick, I guess. I mean, take notes too, Mm -hmm. but eventually it it (laughs) gets in your brain. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I wrote everything down in those first meetings and I told them I would and, you know, people were willing to share so Mm
0: -hmm. yeah and I bet on some level they appreciated that that evidence almost that you are going to remember you are taking the time to write it down yeah yeah exactly so so given that you know you're really trying to build trust with these people and that you care so deeply about your teammates how do you balance being a friend and a manager um, especially when there's hard things, like if you have to let someone go or if there's any mm-hmm. anything that's like the hard stuff, basically.
1: Yeah. Um, I have been very lucky to not have had to deal with that many hard things. I've definitely had hard conversations and even like um, performance improvement plans, like that type of stuff. Luckily, I've never had to let anyone go. But I, um, I think the balance there, I mean... Ideally, you've created this relationship of understanding and trust and transparency before you're in this position. And I would imagine that actually, if you're a new manager, that might not be the case. You know, you might come into a team of people where there's one or two that are just underperforming or having whatever issues, and all of a sudden you're given this burden of having to deal with it. I had a little bit of that before. And I think it the balance is, you know, showing that you are also a human. And But making sure you're not talking about yourself too much either this is advice i've given to my managers in the past that have reported under me in these situations it's like show that you've been in their shoes in some capacity or that you understand but you can't make it all about you you can't interrupt and say oh yeah i get it because i went through x y and z but you can you can share you know i understand why you might be feeling this way because of this one particular experience I've had. And it, it really shows that you, you know, you, you don't, there's this, when you, when you have to share that kind of news, there's this like disappointment slash like, I'm better than you that you want to avoid, right? You can't, that person getting that news is going to feel inferior because they're getting in trouble for something. And you're the one putting them in that trouble in theory. Right. And I am I don't, you don't necessarily have to be like, I have also gotten in trouble for this because it's likely that you haven't, but there's a way to sort of just level the playing field. And for me, when there were hard things to talk about, it was always, let's talk about why we think this is happening. Not like, you know, let me remind you of what you did wrong or like how you're going to be punished for it It's or what the repercussions are. It's what, you know, for example, and this is not as grand of a scale as like letting someone go, but when we would do ticket reviews, sort of like QAs of the tickets and someone just did not do a good job, like just straight up did not say the right answer, totally missed the mark. It's not like, here's all the reasons why you're wrong. It's let's, you know, do you remember what was going on in your head at this time? Or what did you think this question was asking? Or let's talk through your thought process. Because most of the time it's like, you know, I remember once someone just said, you know what, Joel, I was in a totally outside my self headspace. Like I was not focused at work. I was not paying attention. I did not care about my job in that moment because I had other things going on. And what that did is open the door for me to say, I'm here if you wanna talk about those other things going on. But on the work side of things like, okay, that's totally fine. We're all human beings. We're allowed to go through those things. Let's talk about how to deal with that next time it happens. Instead of continuing to do the work and potentially running into problems like this, how can you give yourself the moments you need to regroup? Should you go for a walk? Can you let me know? And we could go for a walk. We could um, listen to a podcast, take a break, you know, like do a breathing exercise. You know, there was, it was all about encouraging people to just share either with their managers or me or their peers and just being self-aware of when they were not gonna be at their best and that and that that was okay and what to do to to regroup. Hmm. So. I don't know if I answered your question.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. I, and I, I love that too, how it's not, why did you do this thing wrong? It's, hey, like, can you just tell me what, what was going on? Like trying to understand right. their side of the story. Right.
1: Well, of course, you know, it doesn't help to just sort of lay blame and say, do better next time. And even in regular feedback, you need to understand why they made the mistake so that you can fix it before it happens again, not just tell them what was, you know, what, what would have been right.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, so kind of transitioning to like a lighter, a lighter side of this uh, conversation. Um, <laughs> I remember you mentioning that you like to build, you know, fun, but still productive environments for your teams. So I'm curious, how do yeah. you go about doing that?
1: Um, okay. So, uh, my longest career stint has been at calumly, So most of my experiences will come from that. So I'll talk about that. Um, how do I do that? So there's the basics of just like creating that vibe, right? You come in every morning as the leader, you're going to give off the energy and your team might pick up on it. They might not, but likely they will. So every morning I came in and just, it wasn't like a, Good morning. Like I wasn't necessarily always. I'm a human being, so sometimes I would walk in like at a 50% energy level. But it's always about just like that positive. Okay, new day. We've got stuff to do. We have things we want to accomplish, and just providing that energy. Um, we were fun at Calendly. I I would get up very often and just sort of like walk around and just check on people, and not like in a "What are you doing? Are you doing your work?" sort of way, and like a you know, give me a high five or. We would sometimes just go around randomly and just do like a high five train sort of thing where I would just interrupt everyone from the work that they were doing to give me a high five, which is so obnoxious, but it just is like a quick reminder like we're friends and we're having a good time and we're enjoying our jobs and we're not stuck in the queue all day. Um, we would, so one thing that I think, and this is just a statement irrelevant to your question. Um, individual performance and monitoring and measuring that is very important. I have found in my conversations with peers that some people in support are afraid to like set goals and daily metrics and daily like quotas even because they don't want it to feel like a call center or they don't want it to feel like even a sales team where you like you have to hit you know because they want people to be doing the work for the right reasons not because they like have to hit a quota which I totally get but there is something that you miss in terms of motivation and feeling fulfilled by not giving someone in support the opportunity to see themselves grow and succeed every single day on a daily basis so at calendly we set daily goals for a number of tickets that they needed to take and a number of tickets they needed to solve now those weren't always equal because sometimes tickets you know there's a couple of days within that journey for it before it gets solved. Um, and we actually created this we created these um, quotas, these minimums. and we created this fun. one of our engineers started and then we continued to build on it like a, a dashboard that showed every individual, and the number of tickets and where they were in real time so as they took a new ticket and completed it it showed up on the dashboard and they were they got that gratification similar to what stella does got that immediate gratification could watch their progress all day and could also plan like oh my god it's 12 o'clock my shift ends at you know my day ends at five and i have 50 more tickets to do like i better hustle or oh i only have 20 tickets left like I can spend time on this Salesforce ticket because it takes longer or whatever the case might be. And that, you know, while it came with its issues, like some people found it intimidating because they worked at a different style or different pace than others or had harder tickets that took longer. And so they were like, I hate that people are walking by and they see that I have five tickets and my neighbor has 30. And that was also an exercise in like, Don't worry about that. You know what work you're doing. You're gonna get it done. Like, let's, you know, move, talk about that. But anyway, so we built this dashboard and there was this one Slack emoji that I was obsessed with. It's like this rainbow sheep that would like hop in place. I don't know where, how I found it or where the obsession came from, but the goal was to hit this sheepy every day. And we, I had the engineers that helped us build this uh, dashboard create where when you hit your goal this rainbow sheep like giant version popped up on your screen and like hopped across the dashboard and and then you were like at this like golden thing and then it was like right and then and then the inspiration was hit your sheepy every day that's that's the ultimate right but if you're not hitting your sheepy we need to know why you need to know why maybe you had a ton of meetings maybe you had really long tickets like it's okay but we just want to understand why And if you do hit your sheepy on a constant basis, like always push to go past it, like see how much farther you can get. Because the other thing that I always taught was what you take on more is less for your teammates to do. And so if you have the capacity to do more, that's one less thing that your team needs to take on and it becomes this like cycle. And we had shifts too. So like the people that ended at six. Would work really hard up until six so that the late night shifters would have less to do and then they could get more done so that the morning shifters had less to do and you know ideally would just sort of create this beautiful thing of you know function and beauty so so it was a lot of like individual performance celebration while in the back of their mind always being reminded that what they do impacts their team and the success of their team Means their own individual
0: success and the company's success, and it worked. The motivation worked. Wow, that's really cool. I, you yeah. know, for my working style, I would definitely love like a old dashboard because I, oh yeah. I am mildly competitive. Right, you know, maybe Everyone more moderately is. competitive. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, Everyone so I,
1: is. and even if yeah. it, even if you're competing with yourself from the day before, that's something I always say too. Like, mm-hmm. don't look at your neighbor because they have a different work style, but compare. You know, you got 45 tickets yesterday, like shoot for 47 today, see what happens.
0: Yeah, yeah, that totally makes sense. Yeah. Um, I'm curious. So as you, like, speaking of your experience at Calendly specifically, as you built that team, how did you kind of maintain or adapt the culture um, of the team to, you know, accommodate more members?
1: Yeah, so I actually, it's an interesting question, because I think what we learned along the way is that maintaining a culture on a team of five versus a team of 30 is not possible. And you actually don't want that because it doesn't fit. And I think that was something that me and my manager struggled with as we were like, it feels different. Like this group of people feels different. We don't feel as X, Y, and Z, whatever it was. And once we sort of got to the realization that it's supposed to feel different, we have new personalities, we have new team members, new work styles and five additional people it's going to feel different but what are the fundamentals that are important to us and how do we maintain those so that was step number one is sort of like instead of having this you know fantasy of this like full environment that's like always fun and always startupy and always like you know grinding and always like doing whatever needs to be done it's not sustainable that we have you know if we wanted everyone to work three hours past what they needed to into the night in for a pizza party to finish tickets early. Like we wouldn't be hiring 10 more people to with for headcount, you know, like if we wanted to maintain that like scrappy startup environment, we would stay there size wise, but we had the opportunity to hire more headcount to not do that. So when, We started to, you know, allow people a a better work-life balance, essentially, not allow. Of course, they always were, but you know what I mean? When situations allowed for a better work-life balance, they, you know, we had to be okay with that. We had to not measure someone's grit and passion based on whether or not they were staying an hour later to do more tickets. And to be honest, that was really hard for me because I was always under this, like, you know, what else are we doing? Five more minutes, the traffic sucks in Atlanta, like just grab five more tickets, it's five less for your team to do. And I had to adjust from that too and say, what does our culture look like now that we have enough people to properly handle the tickets that need to be handled within their appropriate shifts, and they could go home when the clock hits five o'clock. And I think what I learned there was again, you know, what was important at Calumlee was this dedication to the work and the product. And that was always what drove anyone to do anything. And I think I sort of picked that as the main driver and focused on that. So in from day one, when you're in onboarding and you're learning about how support functions and you're learning about ticket structure and how we talk about things and how we we have meetings or work as a team, it's all taught with this underlying, like we want you to love what you're doing and we want you to love the product and we want you to love what the product provides for people. And then it's about celebrating when those moments happen. So when we, with Stella Connect, for example, when we saw good feedback come in where someone's like, you know, so-and-so was so great at helping me out. Like I I love Calendly so much and I love this person. We went berserk over that. I shared it to the entire company Slack channel. We ran around, we high-fived, we, and again, this is all like in office. So things would be different now, but it was, we celebrated when it was, when it was like truly a celebration. And I I say that in some companies go overboard and it becomes stale. The celebrations become stale and, and disgen, dis genuine. Like it doesn't feel as authentic because it's happening. The celebrations are happening all the time. So, really celebrate it when you mean it. I mean, always applaud someone for a good job, right? But you don't want it to feel like a pat on the back, you want it to feel real. So we went crazy as a team when people crushed it. I mean, when new hires got their first piece of feedback from a customer, that was, you know, positive feedback. It was like, you would have thought it was the fourth of July, like people were bugging out. It's just so excited. And I think that team culture of like, hey, this is what we do. And we are just bringing you into it. We're just head first, You know, we love what we do. We, we love you. And you're gonna love what you do. Let's get into it. And it just, it just worked. I don't know. There is no like recipe. You know, there's no to do list to make this happen. It really is about like a mental state and how do, how you show that to your to your team.
0: Yeah. So besides the you know, celebrating like a new hire's first positive review? What were some of the other things that would uh, cause a big celebration?
1: Pretty much, we lived on good feedback. So anytime we got customer feedback, um, I think people hitting their their daily ticket numbers, especially those like new hires that when we when new hires start, they sort of In addition to like ramping up on knowledge, they also have a ramp up period for a number of tickets. We don't expect someone on their first day to be able to crush 35 tickets, right? So we'll start them with 10 or something. So that first sheepy, right, was always a big celebration for someone or someone who's been struggling and then, or gets their sheepy early in the day because they just decided to be heads down and just sort of crush it um, was a big celebration. We, um, you know, people had other responsibilities like side projects and, and different things that they were working on. So it it wasn't always about like getting up and screaming, although we did do a lot of that. It was also like in our meetings, you know, like giving shout outs to people who deserved it or, or talking about wins, um, you know, things that were good from the two weeks before or things that needed work. And, and typically, you know, everyone talked about each other and the way that they helped each other or um the way they sort of celebrated each other throughout the week or or were there for them in whatever capacity you know someone helped me with this ticket whatever the case might have been so i think we just it's as a leader it's about leading by example in that way so you know celebrating your team or giving credit where it's due and making sure like that is a fundamental focus of your conversations without, again, sort of like muddying the waters with too much of it, you know, make it, make it genuine and make it real. And then people will start to do the same and celebrate others. And then, and opening the doors for it, opening the space for it. It might be like on day one, you know, we are going to take 20 minutes to go around and say something nice that someone else on your team did for you. And it might just be like this awkward sort of breaking the ice thing, but then it becomes, a a personality trait of your team where you compliment others. And again, like teams can really go overboard with this and it could be fake and it could, you could see right through it. You know, you don't want to, you don't want to overkill, but if it's genuine and you truly feel like this want to celebrate this person because they helped you or they succeeded in something, then they're going to, you're going to, you're going to just, do it. You're going to find a way to get the word out that they crushed
0: it. Mm -hmm. So I love that as someone (laughs) whose number one love language is words of affirmation. I (laughs) totally get that. (laughs) Good. good. (laughs)
1: Yeah. That's the other thing too, is like everyone, you know, everyone has different ways of feeling appreciated and you kind of have to do it
0: all like throw
1: the spaghetti at the wall
0: without in an organized, thoughtful way. Mm -hmm earlier you talked about how important it is for you to make sure your team really believes in the product. And so I'm curious, um, how, you know, as you're onboarding new hires, how do you foster that love of the product?
1: Yeah. Um, well, I think you need a good product first and foremost. It's really hard to fake if you don't, if, if you don't get, well, that's the first thing. Like you have to just have a little bit of it, right? In general, but I think the other thing is, um, it's that it's that empathy piece. It's that connecting with the customer. Again, recognizing the personality traits of the people you hire on a support team. People are going to be different, but likely they're going to have like a strand that connects them all. Most likely, it's like an empathy or like a go, uh, like a above and beyond. I'm going to help you type of personality trait. Uh, trait. And that is what connects everyone. So figure out what that is, what your team has in common, and and use that to then connect them to the customers. And I think that's what we did really well at Calendly and what is done so well at Stella Connect across all departments. You know, at Stella Connect, we are a tool to help, you know, better the customer experience as a customer or customer facing team. So to support people that are support people is very easy. We are speaking the same language, right? So I can totally put myself in the shoes of Stella connect clients. And when they're coming with a problem and they're all like in a, in a tizzy over it, i can speak their language and they know that i'm with them and i'm we're on the same page and we're going to get it fixed and they trust me because they know that we're in the same universe now with Calumly, you might have been talking to a sale an sdr you might have been talking to a hairstylist but at the end of the day you're they were a person who is trying to make scheduling better and easier and more efficient and if you can just sort of like connect with them and sort of understand the use case and their, their, their needs. It makes it really easy to fix the problem and, and communicate in a way that is warm and genuine. I think one thing that Calendly did really well, Tope always said to everyone, no matter what you did at Calendly, no matter what your job was, he wanted everyone to be able to at least be able to pitch the value of Calendly to any particular type of, like of our main sort of use cases. So if you ran into someone on the street and they were on a sales team, or if they were a life coach, you needed to be able to like give them the proper elevator pitch that showed the value of Calendly for their particular needs. And that was like a, he wanted that for across the whole company. And we did that support like a thousand times over. We needed to understand every use case. We, it was important to us to not only give the answer they were looking for, but explain for them specifically why this was gonna be helpful. Or or they ask a question and we're like, I see you asking this question. I raise you your next question, which is gonna be this. So let us give you this answer as well. Or let me share this feature that you might not know about because it's hidden behind X, Y, and Z buttons that is gonna also help with your, with your experience. So it was about being a product expert, like, essentially, we told them from day one, you need to be the person that knows the most about this product. And you need to know the most about our customers. And by knowing the most about both of those things, you're able to you start to fall in love with it, because you see it working. And you see those aha moments. And you see people being like, Oh, my God, Stella Connect is the absolute best or Cal only
0: saved my life, you know, and then you're like, Yeah, okay,
1: I helped with that. I want more of
0: that. Gotcha. Yeah, I can imagine that must be really gratifying. Like I know for me as a as a marketer, sometimes we don't always hear those right. uh, those success stories firsthand, and I always appreciate hearing from our more customer facing people, like that positive feedback.
1: Mm-hmm. Especially when they're so dramatic about it, like this changed my <laughs> life. I'm like, but I bet it really did. Like I mm-hmm. bet you really had headaches every day about scheduling, and or like with Stella as a client. I literally saw the change from my team not really having much motivation to all of a sudden wanting to take every single ticket because it meant an opportunity to get positive feedback from a customer within minutes. It totally changed the way we worked because people wanted that affirmation, and so morale was like skyrocketed. It was great
0: <laughs> that's awesome, yeah um kind of transitioning a little bit more to the sort of the management strategy side of things um so as you grow teams like at at calendly as you were hiring and really growing that team um how do you know who to promote like how do you figure out that part this is a fun
1: one (laughs) so i have been thinking about this for a while because every peer i talk to sort of like in the cx space runs into this problem and we I wouldn't say we solved it at Calendly, but we definitely figured it out pretty significantly. So what I have seen with small companies startups, especially in the SaaS world, is even if on day one they're like, we are customer-centric, we want to put support first, it is inevitable that they hire a handful of support people, or it starts with like the CEO doing support, right? And then they hire a couple more people to handle inbound tickets, and they start to get more organized and eventually it's from an operations perspective it's mostly like organized however you do it with your systems and such but there is a blob of people all expected to know the same amount of information and do the same amount of work and not and continue to do that work pretty much for the rest of their lives or at least that's what it felt like when we when we first started growing at Calendly and support It was like, Hey, we have this fundamental product and we have all of these integrations and we have all of these technical issues. And we have these escalations that come about and you're all expected, whether you've been here for one week or one year to do them all very well and be experts at all of it. And by the way, if you want a promotion, I need to wait until there's an opening in another department because we were just this blob of support people all on the same level, all expected to do the same thing that obviously was not working. I had people really strong support people on my team that I was losing to other teams because they wanted to grow and they were young, hungry, sort of ambitious people, which they should be because that's who we were. That's who I was hiring, who wanted more to their career. And I'm like, yes, go for it. It was so exciting when I remember one of our strongest um, members moved to the sales team. And I was like, this let's see let's see how this goes and she crushed it because she knew the product really well and she loved the product so it was easy to sell for her and i remember being so proud of the people who have come from my little blob of support people and crushed their new jobs outside of the department but i was like i don't want to lose these people you know and no one wants to stay in a support role or at least at our stage no one wanted to stay in the support role for over a year And it was like already, Oh my God, you've been in this role for a year. You haven't gotten a promotion to something else. Like something's wrong, right? And that just was not sustainable. So long story short, I eventually rolled out a tiered system, which I would recommend to most support teams where you sort of start by breaking down the content of the tickets you get. What types of tickets are coming in? How hard are they? How long do they take? What's the context? and understanding both in volume of those categories and also like effort, both customer effort and internal effort, sort of splitting them up. And essentially what we did at Calendly is after a lot of data mining and a lot of research, we had this bucket of sort of like basic Calendly functionality, like what is availability or how do I connect my calendar, just like the basic stuff. There were some like administrative tasks like changing your password or billing related stuff and then there were all of the integration questions and a couple of more complicated calendar connections and i was like all right this bucket of tickets should take when you're fully ramped should take two to five minutes to complete this bucket of tickets takes about seven to ten so how do we become more efficient as a team and the other thing i thought about and this is actually huge. And what I tell a lot of people when they talk to me about setting up their support teams is you also have to keep in mind, like the workflow of your team and how to be most productive, how to help them be most productive. And if they are, if you're at Calendly, we had a workflow where you sort of just took the next ticket in line. It was like first in first out, you know, grab the next ticket when you're done with the one that you're on. And they were sort of this like looming oh god what's it going to be you know is it going to be an easy one or is it going to be a more complicated one and am i in the right headspace to prepare for that and then that sort of like people sort of spiraled and we grew into this place of like lots of stepping away from their computer to like avoid the next ticket or just sort of burning out a lot faster because they just not only were they having to do this work that was hard but they were also getting in their heads of like oh god what's going to be next and building up that 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 pressure so another thing i found is by splitting these topics you sort of kept them in one headspace for a certain amount of time you know and they were able to crank out more tickets and get through more tickets because for example tier 2 Knew that every ticket they were going to pick up was going to be a more difficult one and they were ready to go they were in that headspace they mentally prepared for the next three hours i'm just going to crank through as many of these difficult integration related tickets as i can and on the flip side tier one was like this is a breeze like i know what i'm up against i don't have to be scared that i'm going to come across like an outlook plugin ticket and you know i'm just going to crush these tickets too and what it did was allowed them to stay focused in their headspace. It created a lot more motivation and fulfillment because they were actually getting work done and not coming across these like impossible roadblocks um, and made our team way more efficient. Like we got way more done because these people were crushing these types of tickets. These people were crushing these types of tickets and they had different SLAs and different expectations. And then part of that was, okay. So back to your original question an hour ago, (laughs) the <laughs> That was the growth pattern. You started in tier one, you grew to tier two, and then to tier three, which was, um, I think now is sort of like a developer support. So it's like even more technical, a little bit code, like code language type of stuff. Um, but so by starting at the sort of entry level, you also were learning at a slower pace that made more sense. Instead of like, hey, here's all of this information, learn it all at once and be good at it. It was like here's a small little nugget of information. Here's another, and it compounding knowledge, so that way we gave them the opportunity to learn, and then it was up to them to sort of take that knowledge and put it into play. Eventually, so for example, like most of the time, tier two tickets would automate and be and end up in the tier two queue, like by an automation that we had in Zendesk but sometimes tickets would either tier 1 tickets would either turn into a tier 2 topic or they would just somehow make it in the tier 1 inbox and what what we would say to them is if you come across like a salesforce ticket and the inbox isn't crazy and you have 5 to 7 minutes and you've learned about it challenge yourself as a tier 1 person you're not not allowed to take a tier 2 ticket it's just about efficiency but if you have the time and you're confident and you want to give it a shot do it and it was learning the content like as a structured education schedule and give it being given the opportunity to like try things when they came across their plate people eventually were ready to be promoted to that tier two and it made sense and so it kind of was i mean I'm, you know there were things there were bumps in the road but it kind of was like this sequential almost guarantee if you did the work and you did it well you were guaranteed to move up through support and then eventually go and and use it as a launch pad for whatever else you wanted to do in your career, whether it was support leadership or engineering or product management or sales. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. That's really smart. <laughs> told you I talked a lot. <laughs> <laughs> That's really smart. I can see how having like that clear roadmap when you're starting out mm-hmm. would be really helpful and motivating too. Right. That's the
1: other thing, too, Mm -hmm. is it encourages people to work hard and learn and do their job really well because they can actually see what is next for them. Whereas before, when we were a blob, it was like, why am I working so hard when I have no path of what's going to happen and I'm just waiting on an opening in product when I don't even know anything about product? Like, that's my only shot. I'm going to clock in and clock out and collect a paycheck, you know? And
0: we don't want that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So at Calendly, once they did each tier have its own manager, or uh, is that how it worked?
1: Yeah, once we got to a certain size, um, each tier had a manager. We we worked a lot as a department, but once we got big enough, you know, tier one had their own meetings, their own retros where they talked about their goals because it was very different from tier two. Also at Calendly, tier two was responsible for our paid user queue, which had a different, faster SLA. So, you know, they had different skills to work on. They worked on multitasking and workflow, and and they also had side projects and a little bit more time out of the box to do more advanced, you know, sort of like efficiency stuff within the team. <clears throat> and tier one, like, you know, of course they got those opportunities too, but really tier one was like, your goal was to become a product expert. So just crush everything you needed to learn about Calendly and just be so good at it that you could answer anything with your eyes closed and that was that was your goal when you started at Calendly on support in tier one you worked however long and however hard you needed to through whatever timeline you needed individually to get to a place where you just knew it all tier one all of tier one stuff and then we slowly taught you tier two in increments and then you know when the time came you were promoted to tier two
0: cool so for each of the managers of those tiers, how did you determine who to promote to that management role?
1: I got, I think, very lucky. I had I had a lot of, every person that we hired that I worked with at Calendly on the support team was amazing in their own way. Um, but some of the beginning um, hires, some of the first hires that we made were very strong individual contributors that really like dove into the whole sort of love what you do, love this team, love to see it grow. And they were all and again, as I mentioned, like I was specifically hiring very ambitious, self starting people who would look outside of the core definition of the job to think of other things. And these are people who do that next thing and go above and beyond and come in earlier, stay late because they love they're excited about this project they're working on, you know, and and want to keep doing it. And we got to a point luckily when the when the tier structure was happening there were a few individuals who really were already sort of like leaders just innately and you know just casually unofficially they knew they were product experts people trusted them people came to them about things and they were always coming to me with ideas or how can i help or Joel, what do you need from me or you know just really passionate and had leadership like innately had leadership within them and it took a long time but they sort of took on the responsibility of these roles um between tier 1 and tier 2 it, it there were decisions that were made there were factors that were played into it just, you know being a certain level of of just interest of you know what was more exciting to them like tier managing tier 1 was more people management and sort of shaping early career folks who like maybe didn't quite know what they wanted to do yet and wanted to use support as a place to sort of just like get really good at being someone who has a job and and communication and that sort of thing and that was also something we were passionate about it was like I don't need the people that come to my team to be here forever on the contrary, I don't want people on my team for more than four years or something or that's a lot. I want them to grow and do other things like but so support was sort of this launch pad, this like place to start where, you learned about the product but you also learned like how to communicate and how to be effective in your work and how to just like work hard and get it done you know and work smarter and work with others and you know have one-on-ones and just like the basic fundamentals of like being a career person i tr- it was it was important for us to sort of teach that too so that even if they went off to a different job they were really good at it because they learned how to just do like fundamental worker stuff you know at Calumly. So that was really like tier one leadership was like, you're managing mostly younger folks who are just learning, you know, just coming into their careers and learning the fundamentals. Tier two is a little bit more strategic. Like we have integrations to deal with. You have to communicate with product. You have to deal with billing, you know, so it's a little bit more senior and a little bit more operational. Um, So, and these two leaders sort of, perfectly aligned with both of those things. They both did both, um, you know, like they, there was a little bit of both of those things in each, but one needed it more than the other and one liked it more than the other.
0: Gotcha, that makes sense. Yeah, cool. Well, I think that's probably a good place to start wrapping up. Um, I know we could probably talk about this all day, but I do wanna be respectful of your time. Um, so I just have like one last question for you. Yes. Um, what advice would you give to other up and coming support leaders?
1: I think it's important to recognize that support is despite, you know, what leadership might think, what the industry might think support is a core function of the success of a business in any capacity, because you are the team and the the group of people who continue to reiterate and reassure the customer of the value of the product that they have purchased from you or that they are using from you whether it is through actually answering a question that they have and literally seeing the value or just being responsive in a time that makes sense that is surprising and delightful you know they people have a stigma about support no matter no matter how many good support experiences people have they will they will always expect the worst So if you go above and beyond, they will constantly be surprised by that. And that also reassures the value of your company to them and the value that they will come back next year, or they will tell their friends, or they will spread the word or keep using the product. So you have to, as a support leader, you may come across hurdles where people are telling you otherwise. And because it's not a, you know, a revenue, necessarily a revenue driven department or, um, you know, something that like shows immediate impact because it's very subjective and very like emotional, really, you have to be steadfast in that what you're doing and what your work that your team does is incredibly important to the success of the company. If you're lucky enough to find a company that gets that really lean into it. If you have some, if you have some convincing to do. Do, work on doing that convincing because it is incredibly important for people to understand what support, good support, what impact that has on a company, and and don't give up on that. I guess is, is my best advice. And then the other thing, one other thing that's so there's like a support, you know, in general as a whole, and then there's your your team and your people. Be their number one advocate. They are. It's really hard to advocate for yourself in general. But also, but specifically in the, in a support role, similar to what I said before, there's not a lot of like tangible evidence that other people outside of support care about to prove your worth, unfortunately, again, because it's very emotional and it's very subjective. So as a leader, it is important to do everything in your power every single day to show the value of each and every individual team member and make sure that they continue to be successful in their career. And that has to come first before anything else.
0: I love That's that. That was so good. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to do this, Joelle. I really enjoyed our Thanks conversation. For having me. Yeah. Me too. That's all for this episode of Beyond the Q. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed it, please be sure to hit subscribe and rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you next time.